and welcome to We Are History, recorded during lockdown with me, John O'Farrell. And me, Angela Barnes. Sorry, these lockdown episodes, I start all of them laughing because we have to count backwards from five before we start. John and I are so bad at doing that. It makes me laugh it's every hard, time. It's hard remembering which, which number We're comes next. clever people, John. Why can't we count backwards from five in time with each other? I, it's just, my, my maths O-level doesn't stretch that far. What are we talking about today, Angela? Today we are talking about, it's a lol fest, it is the German occupation of the Channel Islands in World War II. 1940 to 1945, yes. yes. Now, lots of counterfactual books about what would have happened if Britain had succumbed to the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Lots of airport books with swastikas flying over Big Ben and yes. lots of dodgy men at the airport fingering them and thinking about why they <laughs> voted Brexit. But, of course... One part of the UK did succumb to the Nazis. Mm. And uh, today we're going to be looking at whether the Brits here behaved any more heroically than other countries who suffered occupation. Was there less collaboration? Was there more than France, Holland, etc.? It's interesting, Mm. isn't it? Because um, obviously it's a crown dependency, aren't they? The Channel Islands. Yes. So so, um, I wonder whether British people did see it as part of Britain being occupied or were very able to just sort of disassociate themselves with that bit of Britain. (laughs) under occupation yes the legal status of the island did bring complications Mm. later and they were sort of directly owned by the monarchy as far as i can work out dating right back to 1066 when they were owned by the duke of normandy before he rocked up at hastings Mm. and their their status had all been very different i think to the rest of britain but they were you know they were seen as they had pounds shillings and pence and they they you know uh, british policemen in the high streets and they were seen as very very british Mm. uh and uh, had not expected to endure World War Two in the way that they ended up having. Yeah. To. Well, the British didn't see it coming, did they? They just assumed the Channel Islands were of no military value. So. Yeah, I mean, World War One had bypassed the Channel Islands completely, uh, and even as early as um, March in 1940, I think, weren't they recommending that people go there on their holidays to escape the tension. Yeah, absolutely. The, well, the, the, the um, Chamber of Commerce in Guernsey suggested advertising Guernsey to the British people in 1940 as a place to escape from the war. <laughs> Come to right, us, you'll people, be fine. Some, some people got stuck there because yeah. of that and then had to endure five years of Nazi occupation. So just a bit of background on the Channel Islands in, in Angela Bowne's style. I know, you're taking the mickey out of me. I, I like to know. <laughs> so they're the originally formed by volcanic activity 14 million years ago. <laughs> Moved to their present location, formed by tectonic plates and rising and lowering sea levels. Do you want to go, me to go back a bit earlier than that, Angela? Is that... Yeah, Big Bang, I think, is where we start everything, isn't it? People there were British because, of the, as I say, because of the Norman Conquest. But they actually still, they, many of them spoke a different language. They spoke Norman French. Mm. Uh, which is unintelligible to modern French ears. Absolutely. And they had their own local dialects, didn't they? And I'm going to really, I'm going to murder some pronunciation during this podcast, by the way, John. Just let's get that out there now. Okay. Okay. But there was Guernesies and Jerriers, maybe, spoken on Guernsey and Jersey. Guernesias. Guernesias. Jerriers, I'd say. Yeah, these are the names of the the dialects of the islands. And And actually, the German occupation helped revive them in some ways because... um, people started speaking them again as, because the occupying forces obviously could speak uh, French and English. Right. Um, so they reverted to their old dialects so they could talk freely. Yeah. That's quite interesting. So, that is very interesting, yeah. So it's a special, like, a secret code. Mm. So we're at 1940. Hitler strikes west. Holland, Belgium and then France fall. 
and suddenly the Channel Islands are looking very vulnerable. Yeah. There'd been no conscription uh, on the Channel Islands, but lots of young men had volunteered to uh, fight the British Army, meaning that uh, lots of men of fighting energy weren't on the island. Yeah, the, well, the Royal Guernsey Militia was sort of sent to England. So, right. Um, and then there was a, a sort of local defence force, a kind of local dad's, dad's army, army, I guess. It? Um, was right. set up and, and I think in the beginning of 1940 they started to think well maybe we better have some defence things in place so they they um, I know on Guernsey they removed all their signposts and if you've ever been to Guernsey which I was in Guernsey just a few months ago they didn't put many wow. of them back I think it's fair to say <laughs> the, the locals are very proud of the fact that they know their way around but f visitors right. not so much um, right. and also um like enemy aliens, in inverted commas, were, were began to be interned. So there were lots right. of servants and things for maids from Austria and Germany and things like that who began to be interned yeah. at this time. They always talk about aliens being. I've always got an image of ET. Yeah. When I say that. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically, Roswell incident type big egg-headed aliens were interned. That's right. I think the British thought that oh, because the Channel Islands wasn't of military value. That it was like, oh, they're not going to have any interest in that. Yeah, but what they didn't take into account were that the Germans were propagandists and the propaganda yes. of being able to say they'd occupied a British territory at that time was huge. Um, but the British hadn't really thought about that. So then there was a sudden panic and the sense that we better get out of here quickly. But people were unclear about whether the patriotic thing to do was to evacuate and fight them uh, from the mainland. Yep. Or whether... Leaving was a yellow thing to do, was a, was a cowardly thing to do. And very mixed messages yeah, from the authorities. Yeah, it's quite interesting in these COVID times as we're recording this, there's quite a lot of parallels that you can see with, with mixed messaging and people not being clear on, you know, what the right thing to do is. It's quite interesting. Um, I think there was, plans were made for children to be evacuated. So uh, yes. children and along with them, a lot of their teachers to look after them. Yes, they were they were put on boats and taken to uh, Weymouth. And yep. I think one of the boats at Weymouth, they got in at five o'clock in the evening and they wouldn't let them off the boat until the next morning. They were stuck on the boat because people didn't know what to do with all these refugees. Yeah. Uh, and the terrible treatment. And they, they hadn't got. brought enough, some were on the boats for 48 hours outside Weymouth and they hadn't brought enough food with them and they were overcrowded. Yeah. A lot of them weren't, they weren't passenger boats. A lot of them were cargo go boats so they were just in makeshift beds in the holds and things so it's a pretty Terrible. uncomfortable crossing so these children were sponsored by rich americans mm -hmm. one uh, channel islander was sponsored by eleanor roosevelt oh how is, nice, uh, of her. nice nice nice, <laughs> nice for her. Uh, but as i say people were not sure what the right thing to do was and they had um signs up saying keep your heads don't be yellow business as usual like you said about mixed messages you're right because in guernsey the locals realized that they needed some industry and people to feed the people that remained and things like that yes so um the idea of everyone evacuating because at, at first i think they made it sound like evacuation was definitely the best thing to do right. um and then a man on guernsey whose name is incredibly uh, stamford raffles isn't that amazing <laughs> he was the um information officer because they'd okay. appointed by this point in 1940 they'd appointed emergency committees to run the island yes um, and so he was their information officer and he distributed four posters and three of them, we know what the wordings were. One was the rumour that general evacuation has been ordered is a lie. So saying, wow. no, that's not what's happening. Uh, number two was keep your heads, don't be yellow, business as usual. <laughs> Which don't be yellow. Is, don't be okay. yellow. And the third one I love, why go mad? Compulsory evacuation is a lie. There's no place like home. Cheer up. Cheer up, everyone. Honestly, up. honestly, just because we've got a Nazi occupation, which is going to uh, leave us malnourished and uh, persecuted and 
Uh, yeah, so don't be so down in the dumps about having to live under the Nazis. But actually, later on, this this was used against them because after the occupation and, you know, a couple of years in when people were starving and people were starting to think, hang on a minute, you know, they'd been cooperating with the occupiers. At that point, um, the emergency committee, the the people who were still technically running <laughs> the, yes. the Channel Islands, right. um was saying, well, you chose to stay. You knew there was going to be a German occupation. You chose not to be evacuated, so suck it up, you know. Wow. Um, wow when actually, yeah. that's not really what happened. They were told to stay. Yes. There was a, a tragic massacring of dogs and cats. Mm. 2,000 dogs were destroyed, 3,000 cats. The war cabinet decided to demilitarise the islands and that all military personnel and equipment would be evacuated. Tragically... They didn't tell the Germans about this. Well, this so, yeah, they, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because they were like the Channel Islands felt they'd been abandoned by the British. Yes. On, on demilitarization, and really, it does look like they kind of were because they were told that under the Hague Convention of International Law, the demilitarization meant they would be safe because occupying forces couldn't come into a place that couldn't defend itself. Wouldn't bomb them, and yeah. But because nobody told them. the Germans that they the were demilitarised, yeah. <laughs> then it was sort of a bit of a pointless exercise. They were sort of saw the Germans taking Cherbourg, they could see the, 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 the smoke on the horizon, mm -hmm. and they knew that it wasn't long for them. And also refugees had come from Boulogne and places as That's well, so right. they saw what the Germans were doing firsthand. Absolutely. So there was a message, the King's message, the islands were to be abandoned, and that was accompanied by a note from the Home Secretary asking that this not be given too much publicity. So it's like, so it's Jesus. like, maybe, you know, don't lead with that. The fact that yeah. we're going to abandon you to the Nazis, don't make that the main item of your news. Maybe on page 12 of the newspaper, you know, along with a picture of the Carnival Queen and the, the just, a bus, just a bugging granny who's raised all that money for charity. Yeah, it's a little postscript. Oh, by the way. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we're letting you, on your you to own. the Nazis. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say that from reading my book and the book that I read the most for this, the book that was my main source was The Model Occupation by Madeleine Bunting, which is a really good read. I thoroughly recommend it. Though the Islanders apparently not too happy about that book. Oh, really? Oh, it's interesting. She, mm. she wrote it back in the 90s when some of them were still alive. Yeah. Uh, well, many of the people who uh, experienced the war were still alive. And in the introduction... She says there's a lot of people reacting quite prickly. Mm. You know, they're quite sensitive about why do you want to dig that up now? What do you know about it? What do you English have to come? Would you, would you have behaved any differently? And she, that's before she's asked them any questions. Yeah. So there's a very, some very raw feelings about the, them well, feeling Well, apparently judged. there's a chapter, in the, I haven't read that book, right. but apparently there's a chapter called Resistance, What Resistance? Yeah. Which sort of pissed them off a bit. Right. And they felt it portrayed them as collaborators rather than cooperators. But we'll come on to that a bit more. The book I've read is... Um, I've sort of focused on Guernsey because I went there recently and I picked up this book while I was there. Yeah. And it was written um, at the time by a chap called Ralph Duran. He'd been a, a writer, but he'd also been quite well-travelled. He'd been in the Boer War and World War One, and he wow. was in his 60s uh, during World War Two, and he was um, head of the library on Guernsey. Wow. And he'd been asked by the authorities in Guernsey to sort of keep a journal of what was going on during the occupation, which okay. is quite a dangerous thing to do, yeah. really, at the time. What's interesting about him is he died a year after, wow. in in fact, not even a year after, less than a year after, in um, 1946, he died of malnutrition caused by yeah. the occupation. So, wow. yeah. you know, it actually killed him. But um, his book's incredible, and he just... he Because it's written at the time, there's certain things in it that are contentious, but he just has such a... It's really interesting to read, particularly the way he talks about the Germans and the occupiers. You know, he 
it, it, it takes the piss out of them royally in this okay. book. So I really recommend it. It's called Guernsey Under German Rule. Okay, that's interesting. By I Ralph Durand. Or Rafe. Might be Rafe. He's posh, isn't he? <laughs> I don't know. Librarian <laughs> Guernsey. Librarian on Guernsey. Rock and roll. <laughs> but yeah. Um, uh, I mean, just talking about the mixed messages and the poor communications, that sort of characterised the entire war period between the islands and, and mm. Whitehall. And there's some people, we you know, in the panicky gap between abandoning their homes and the invasion that was looting and the breakdown of law and order, people got down to the port, changed their minds and went back home mm. to find their home stripped of furniture and goods and that people had thought, mm-hmm. well, they're leaving, I'm having all their stuff. Um, right down to the... The liner on the floor was gone in some cases. And and it was officially done as well because yes. they had, they appointed, the emergency committees appointed um, custodians of abandoned houses whose job was to go into the houses that had been abandoned and take out anything that might be useful. Yes. Food, yeah, radios, I mean, anything. I mean, well, when we come towards the end of the war and when, it, when they were completely out of uh, gas and electricity, they needed wood to burn. And so they were going into these houses and taking out the banisters and the floorboards. And uh, mm. you sort of can't blame them for that, really. If you were, you know, if nothing to cook your food and your family were freezing and there were big empty houses with you know, wooden stairs. Um, it was just a bit Absolutely. of a shock for the people who came back after the war to their homes to find <laughs> Where's them. My <laughs> Where's, where, how do I get upstairs now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Having not told the Germans that it was a demilitarised area, the Germans bombed St. Peterport in Guernsey and St. Helier on Jersey. And this came as a complete shock. These planes came out of the sky, killing 44 mm. people, which was a terrifying shock to the islanders. The clock mm. in St. Peterport stopped at that moment and remained symbolically pointing to that time for the rest of the war, mm. which, is, which I'm sure would feature in any movie of the, uh, the occupation. So and then the Germans just landed at Guernsey Airport and the island surrendered. There was nothing they could do to resist the sort of you know, might of the German army when they just had a local volunteer force. Yeah. And they had, they had to make a decision. Are, are we going to just try and endure this and, and ride out the war? Do we die on the airfields like sort of, uh, mm. you know, Churchill had said, we shall fight them on the beaches. They thought, well, do we want to die on the beaches? Do we die, die on the airfields or do we just try and get through this? Also, it's all very well fighting them on the beaches if you've got weapons, yes. but they've been demilitarised. They had nothing to fight them with. Absolutely. So I don't think we should make any uh, moral judgment about no. the decision made by the uh, islanders that they couldn't themselves commit suicide in the face of the uh, German infantry. Mm. Down the line, there were many decisions that people took that, you know, were probably questionable. Yeah. But that's why this is so interesting because we have this notion of, you know, British heroic moral integrity uh, in the Second World War and we didn't collaborate like the French or the Dutch or the Danish. But we don't know. We were lucky. No, that we, we were never, never tested. We were never tested, uh, but the islanders were. And did cooperate. And cooperated and sometimes collaborated. And it's mm. that very uh, blurry spectrum which is interesting, I think. Mm, absolutely. But very, very sensitive issue for the islanders, particularly those who lived through it. Yes. Um, Hitler wanted to make it a model occupation. He saw the propaganda value of being on British soil and didn't particularly want to be at war with Britain. He had no intention of colonising the West. It was an inconvenience to him that he was at war with Britain and France. Originally, the island occupiers, the Germans, were treating the islanders with respect, allowing their government to remain in place and allowing them to stand for the British national anthem in the cinema or whatever and still uh, make prayers for the king and queen. They were still allowed to pray for the king and queen. They were still allowed to gather. They were still allowed to um, have uh, radios and listen to the BBC at that point. Right, yes. Um, and the island governments, island governments uh, remained in place and they hoped this would sort of mitigate the harshness of German rule, that they could act as a buffer if they were the ones sort of doing the administering. 
But of course, mm. it just put them in a very difficult position of having to do the Nazis' dirty work for them. And that created a lot of resentment down the line Absolutely. as well. Quite iconic Absolutely. pictures in this book by Madeleine Bunting of, you know, British bobbies pictured directing Nazi officers. It's these sort of images, you know, the, the, the Union Jack being taken down and the Nazi flag being put up. German names over British shops. Yeah. You know, this is the stuff of uh, war obsessives, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, the use using Reichsmarks. Um, yeah, and also like they requisitioned most motor vehicles and yes. uh, you know petrol. So yes, they came in um, not quite in the same way as they did in France or Holland, but they were still you know came straight in and imposed. Oh yes, their Nazi rule. I mean, there wasn't they weren't lining sort of um, suspected collaborators up against the wall and shooting them, but they no. were. They described it as an iron hand in a velvet glove. And uh, yeah. you didn't want to test them. And the, I suppose the point was that with this sort of slightly benevolent dictatorship that they were experiencing, did they want to start blowing up German troop carriers and then start having a hundred islanders Not shot so in revenge? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Let's. Yeah, I think the islanders did feel that, uh, that there's a lot of talk, particularly in the book I've read, about the Hague Convention and whether or not. You know, there were certain actions of the Germans that even the islanders felt, well, that was justified under the, you know, rules of war. Right. As it were. And then other actions that they felt weren't. So the raid that killed 44 islanders happened on the 28th of June. After that, Guernsey decided they were no longer going to uh, trade foodstuff with mainland Britain. Yeah. In the hope that that would then tell the Germans that, look, we're not... Supplying the... Uh, uh, yeah. Supplying the, the yeah. British and that the, we're, we're of no use to you, really. Um, they hoped that would stop any military incentive then to continue with raids. But then they landed at the airport. The newspaper report on the 28th of June, or the 29th of June, the day after the raids, um, a military expert were trying to calm the population yeah. and said, look, the Nazis could no more hold positions in the islands than we could defend them. So everyone chilled out a bit. Right. And then on the 30th, there were these two air raids. Um, one went off in the afternoon and then one at 8pm at night. Then at 10 o'clock at night, they got the all clear. On that day, that's all they knew about it. And it wasn't until the next morning they found out that during that two hours between the air raid at 8 o'clock and the all clear at 10 o'clock, that's when the Germans had landed at the airport and wow. occupied. And they only found out by a, a newspaper report the next morning. Yes, because not everyone's looking at the airport, of course. You might have a little cottage down yeah. on the cliffs, you know, a few miles away. You don't know that your country has suddenly switched governments and that you're now under German occupation. It must have been a bit of a shock when the, when the newspaper suddenly... Was yeah, the, well, the, the newspapers were given away free the next day. Right. And the headline just said, the order of the commandant of the German forces in occupation of the island of Guernsey with a list of rules. So that was wow. a bit of a shock. Wow. Um, and the rules including like the curfew, they had to be indoors by 11pm and couldn't leave their homes before 6am. Wow. Uh, threats that if they um, made any attempt to cause trouble, the town would be bombed. Um, all spirits had to be locked up immediately. Oh, really? Um, yeah, they weren't. Al they were allowed them. Uh, prohibition did not apply to stocks in private houses. Uh, all rifles, air guns, pistols, etc., had to be surrendered. Um, no boats were allowed to come or go. The sale of motor spirits was prohibited, so petrol, yeah. um, etc. Um, the use of cars for private purposes was forbidden. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, banks and shops were allowed to open as usual. All clocks and watches had to be put on German time. Oh, really? God. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, and then suddenly the Germans were all put up in the hotel. So it's a really a tourist destination. So suddenly all these mm. German officers 
we're having breakfast in the in the sort of uh, in the uh, in the tea rooms, and it's mm. the atmosphere in a British guest house is awkward at the best of times. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, commandant! Morning, morning. <laughs> Have you been into the village? <laughs> so, what do what do you do while I'm conquering all Western Europe? Oh, it's a lovely day all for right. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Good luck. And then uh, yes. And then at Sark, you've got Sark is its own peculiar thing, which is um, mm. they had very a, peculiar place. Yeah. I've never been, but the Guernsey people love telling me about how mental the Sark people were. Yeah, well, they've had, they're basically it was ruled by a dame, Dame Sybil Hathaway. Uh, she had the maid announce the guests, and these Nazis came in, and uh, and as they left, she had them sign the visitors' book. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, it was sort of like she was like a sort of personal ruler of Sark, and I think it's still basically governed that way by some dodgy brothers but anyway the, the, as i say it was a for the germans landing this was a holiday posting a picture postcard setting there was no violence as fruit looked plentiful there were beaches and suddenly you had your germans sunbathing in the beaches and guess how they sunbathed angela was it with their bits out john it's nude nazis again <laughs> we can't get enough of nude germans on this podcast can we just google nude nazis everyone just see what comes up uh, please yeah. don't do that <laughs> yeah so this was um this shocked and uh, perhaps attracted some of the um local women's folk to see these uh, athletic young mm-hmm. blonde german men taking off all their clothes and getting bronzed on the beach and apparently some women were very quick to flirt with mm. the germans madeleine bunting makes the point in the book i was reading about the experience of women on the channel islands before the war mm. a lot of them had had difficult relationships they had been very exploited by their husbands there had been domestic abuse incest so it wasn't like oh i've got this perfect marriage now these german officers have turned up and i'm running off with them the german soldiers were instructed to be very polite and respectful and sometimes the women found that they were being treated better by these nazis than they had been by their husbands so it's a very blurry line about you know how the women were supposed to respond to them there was some very interesting sort of in ralph duran's book obviously he didn't talk about that being a guernsey man a contemporary guernsey man but there were some real signals in there about what life for women in the islands was like and things like after a lot of the women were evacuated and left their husbands behind. Yep. Those husbands, they had to have emergency aid to have food delivered to them <laughs> because their wives had gone and they just couldn't they cook. Want, they couldn't do food. anything. Wow. And they had, they had their emergency aid services even darned their socks for them. Sounds like heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but the islanders were Dream on, John. the islands were instructed to cooperate, but only be coldly polite. So, mm. sort of like when you meet your wife's old boyfriend at a wedding or something. It's like, <laughs> all right, mate. <laughs> You're a bit cold to Ralph. I wasn't cold. I was perfectly polite to him. I could have been a bit friendlier. <laughs> On the. Um... So you're talking about the the, the fraternisation yes. between the. I think that's quite interesting. Do you know what they called them? The nickname that the Jerry women bags. were given. Jerry bags. Jerry bags. Yeah. Um, and it was women from all classes and families. Yeah. That, and they reckon that eight to nine hundred children were born to German fathers in the Channel uh, Channel I think Islands. That might have been just Jersey, you know, the eight hundred figure. Really. Legitimate children births doubled and on mm. Jersey and quadrupled on Guernsey I think it was wow women were prosecuted for uh, carrying out illegal abortions well the Germans tried to discourage it because they kept spreading 
uh, sexually transmitted infections as well, which wasn't too helpful to their... Yes, well, actually, the Germans also brought in brothels. sex workers from the French mainland. Yeah. So yeah. venereal disease was spread around the island, and that's why the German army wanted to discourage it. But See, a lot of sex we, was being We had. clapped for the NHS. They were <laughs> clapping for Britain. Look <laughs> at that. You. Thank you. I Thank you. I drop the mic and I walk away. <laughs> You've been a great... My, that's my time. Thank you. <laughs> You've been a great audience. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, you know, we all hope that we wouldn't be the one to um, collaborate with... The, the enemy or wouldn't be the one to uh, fraternise with the enemy. Quite young girls, you know, 14, 15 were, were, were becoming girlfriends of, uh, of German soldiers. Quite often these, we're talking about kids suddenly um, having sex with sort of an invading army, which is fairly terrifying. But people were hungry. Food was scarce. The Germans had more food. You can get extra life of bread to, for your kids if you were you know, nice to a German soldier. And there was one German to every two islanders. You know, a lot of Germans on the island, so it's impossible to ignore them. Yeah, I mean, I know on Guernsey, we, like half the island evacuated. Yes. I think there were 20,000 left. There's one story I read of a German officer had, who had a British mistress who, before they had sex, she always asked if she could pray for her husband who was away fighting. So you can imagine the sort of psychological torment wow. she was going through. Um, but they hoped by cooperating with the Germans and with their governments in place, carrying out the instructions you know, of the Germans in the most humane manner possible, this model occupation could continue. Maybe we should take a break there. Let's. And see if that did pan out. Uh, and uh, while well, we enjoy no some. Spoiler alerts, John. We'll enjoy some New Jersey potatoes and Guernsey tomatoes <laughs> and come back after this short break. Welcome back to We Are History. Uh, we are talking about the German occupation of the Channel Islands in World War II. One of the things that's interesting is we know that the local authorities were still in place. Yes. However, obviously, a German commandant was on each island really controlling, you know, what islanders could and couldn't do. One of the things that happened quite quickly was the sort of subversion of the local press. Uh, Ralph Doran, in his book, refers to the local press as, in inverted commas, our marionette press. Um, and the Germans thought they were being really clever uh, yep. in inserting propaganda into the local papers. But the islanders saw straight through it, really. Duron says, um, the Germans thought they could make us believe Britain could not hope for victory. It's to be supposed that the propagandists who chose the stories did so with the ignorance of psychology that's always been a German characteristic. And they judged our mentality by that of the average German and thought that desire to be on the winning side would influence us more than love of country. <laughs> so they were like, we didn't fall for their propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. And the the um the very first article published um on the first of July, so right, right on right. occupation. Yeah. On the first day, uh the newspaper they, they were given the headline to print and the newspaper deliberately printed it with the spelling mistakes that the Germans oh, had made oh, in oh, it. Excellent. So that the islanders knew straight away that yeah. they were being dictated to oh, what good. to print, and um, verbs all in the wrong place, you know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and they would often laugh at the the sort of the stuff that the Germans would print that they thought they'd fall for. Like when um, in 1941, when Rudolf Hess flew to Britain, oh yeah, and was subsequently captured. 
um, the, the story that appeared in the local press in the islands just said he knew the peace proposals of the Fuhrer better than anyone else in Germany. Evidently, he realised in his own conscience that the continuation of war would lead to complete destruction of the British Empire and therefore wanted to stop this disastrous development by personal sacrifice. <laughs> and they, they didn't like, fall yeah. for it at all. Yeah. Um, the Germans would lie about their numbers of casualties in raids and things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, but the locals could work it out just by the number of ambulances that would be seen going to the hospital right. and yeah. then would work out the number of deaths by the number of wreaths sold in the florist. Okay. So, you know, they didn't really fall for a lot of this. I've got one here that is a, an article, um, a Christmas message written by a local vicar, uh, mm. and it concluded, the recognition that Christ was born into the world to save the world and bring peace on earth is the need of the world. And the German censor changed it to... The recognition that Christ was born into the world to save the world and bring priests on earth is the need of Britain and her Jewish and Bolshevik allies. <laughs> it's like, that's, oh my God. I, I hate it when I get rewritten and they don't run, my re, they don't run the rewrites past me. It's like, I'm, I wouldn't have said that bit about the, the Jews and the Bolsheviks. I don't remember mentioning the Bolsheviks. I don't that's, remember like, it. That's yeah, a big rewrite you've done on my script there. <laughs> Wow. I mean, we'll come on to when we talk about resistance in a little while, we'll come on to how how other news got through. But um, yeah, the takeover of the newspapers was pretty instant. And and yeah, and I think and always with propaganda, people know when they're being lied to. uh, You know, it's pretty obvious. Fake news. Fake news. It was fake. It was fake news on, on Guernsey and Jersey. Apart from sort of taking over the newspapers, they banned various organisations, or they had to be registered. So the mm. the Bowling Green Association. Uh, yeah, those dangerous bastards. Yeah, <laughs> the Salvation Army was banned as a as a quasi military quasi military organisation. <laughs> and they banned the Scouts for the same reason. Well, I mean, you know, once you once you you've suffered enough without Gingangguli and the <laughs> Salvation Army. You can do a lot of brass. damage with a woggle. I know. <laughs> The Salvation Army brass band playing onward Christian soldiers. They, they'd <laughs> suffered enough, they decided. Um, all the school children, as you say, had to learn German. The road signs were up in German. And then they had to start registering the place of birth of uh, non-islanders uh, born in Britain. This is when it gets very uncomfortable for the island authorities because they have to start carrying out policies which will result in British people being deported to Poland. Mm. Because Germans in Iran had endured detention by the Brits... Uh, Hitler was now going to retaliate and 2,000 British-born islanders were detained and taken away. Um, Now, most of the Jewish population uh, had been evacuated before invasion, but the island authorities did comply with Nazi demands to provide the names of remaining Jews. uh, There were fewer than 20 left. Yes, that's right. Yeah, but... um, but they did give they, the they, 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 There was no resistance there. And again, it mm. uh, shines a light on you know, what might have happened uh, on mainland Britain in a similar situation. Mm. The thing that comes across very strongly in the book I was reading was just how the, the, the daily struggle for food, heat, yeah, uh, and the struggle with their consciences. Because you know, every day you are forced to make tiny decisions about whether to go hungry or whether to blank a German or get a little bit more food. Were you a collaborator, if you were rounded up at the age of 18 and forced into labour, and people were saying, you know, oh, he's working for the Germans, a lot of people didn't have any choice at the end of a a pointing gun. Is it worth mentioning at this point about the Atlantic Wall and what the Germans were doing on the islands at the time? Yeah, I was just just coming up to that. Uh, I was just going to say the rationing was introduced and there was the black market that thrived. And um, 
the police were using their exemption from the curfew to steal food themselves. Mm. And uh, 18 of the 30 Guernsey police were tried for pilfering from German food stores, which is its own yeah. its own form of resistance, except one of them had 86 bottles of port stashed away. Uh, <laughs> That's my kind of resistance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you were caught stealing, you could get sent to a camp in France and maybe even to a concentration camp in Eastern Europe and Mm. Between 20 to 30 islanders were sent to concentration camps in Europe and half of them died there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the only photos to come out of Buchenwald concentration camp, and these were used at uh, the Nuremberg trials, these were taken by an islander who survived Buchenwald. So a degree of suffering there for the islanders, nothing like the suffering, though, endured by the slave workers, the Russians and the Ukrainians, who were used to build the seawall that you were referring to earlier. Yeah. So this yeah. is the darkest side of the whole occupation, I think. Did you, did you read much about this? Alderney, which had been, which is yes. another Channel Island, which yes. had been practically emptied, uh, evacuated, yes. not many people left at all, was where the main fortifications were being built. So the slave labour camps yes. on Alderney were horrific. Yes, and they, I mean Hitler. I think Hitler imagined the, the islands as a German military outpost after the war. He had this idea yeah. of an Atlantic submarine base. And they set about building huge fortifications with concrete and uh, tunnels in the solid rock. And basically, they imported 16,000 foreign workers. Um, and they had slave camps full of Ukrainians and Russians and poor Spanish Republicans. who We, we did the Spanish Civil War a few weeks back. And you know, those Spanish Republicans yeah. who escaped to France at the end of the Spanish Civil War found themselves being handed over by Vichy France and suddenly they were working as slave labourers in Alderney yeah. being worked to death there. There was paid labour as well paid foreign labour came over to help build the fortifications as yeah. well from yeah. um, occupied Europe but also you had a lot of Irish workers there because Ireland obviously um, as Irish workers were citizens of a neutral country they were free to work for the yeah. Germans. A lot of them had been did. in Jersey actually they, believe it or not well a cliche but they were used for harvesting the potato harvest in, yeah. in Jersey and so uh, but there's a lot of suspicion towards the Irish because they were... And there was a lot of controversy, I think, with this, wasn't there, about um, the sort of interpretation of the Hague Convention because, obviously, it was against the Hague Convention for the people of the occupied... Yes. Like, ...to be working on military installations yes. and things. It could be used um, against their own people, yes. It could be used against their own people. So there was this ongoing sort of the Germans say, oh, no, they're just doing a bit of gardening when actually... It was yes. a camouflage that they were, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, or are they just building seawall defences? Yes. You know, it's like, well, are they or are they building military defences? Yes, you know, there was a lot of yes, yes. grey areas. Well, very grey areas. It was concrete. Yes. It was, I mean, yeah. it was a vast building site. I mean, tons and tons of concrete was poured. Vast building site on Alderney. And over a thousand slave workers died on Alderney, beaten or mm. starved or tortured to death. And every now and then, you know, uh, some of the remaining islanders on Alderney or if they went to Guernsey, they would uh, smuggle them some food. I've read about one prisoner who crawled under the fence to steal some potatoes. And when he came back, he shared, he had like, just a couple of potatoes and shared it with all the other prisoners. So that's the, the, wow. you know, the, the human spirit enduring there. But of course, not all, the, not all the Germans there were, you know, evil Nazis with a scar on their face and they're barking Alsatian. There's another story I read of a German soldier who was told to give 25 lashes to a slave worker who'd stolen some food. He gave him three lashes inside this barn and then said, just keep screaming. So he gave him three, so he had the marks on his back and then beat the wall with the other 22 lashes. So the guy could pretend that he was being beaten and he didn't give such a brutal punishment. So people were grasp, grasping at little bits of humanity in the middle there of There were quite terrible. a lot of stories of German um, soldiers that were on the island who had sort of made it clear to the islanders that actually they'd quite like to surrender. 
Yeah, and that they um, didn't believe in this war and they weren't supporters of Hitler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they were, you know, as much a victim of conscription and everything else as... Yeah, I think because of the closeness, because of the, the, the relationship between the Islanders and the Germans, I think more than anywhere else in occupied Europe, there was a, a, an honesty and an openness between, you know, occupier and occupied. We'll get on to the resistance in a minute for what it was. But there was no... For, for the Islanders, there was, it wasn't the same experience of national humiliation that had happened to the Dutch or the French or the Poles yeah. because Britain fought on. So there was this tiny corner of Britain that was occupied, but Britain was still in the war and was still giving it to the Germans and was you know, bombing Hamburg or whatever. So they didn't feel that their national honour had to be maintained by blowing up bridges and, uh, and organising armed resistance in the way mm. that the French's only honour in the war was through the resistance. Britain, you know, was 99.9% unoccupied. And yeah. On. So that, that gave a different sort of sense to the national pride. Yeah, it does seem unfair to compare the behaviour of the Channel Islanders with that oh, of absolutely. the French. absolutely. I think it is the, unfair. You know, but it, was, to, a, it was, a, yeah. was a unique sort of occupation in the sense that there was a, mm. a closeness between them, which came out of the situation, not out of the personalities of the Islanders themselves, I think. The war crimes committed on ordinary were never investigated normally the crimes are investigated by the country that's suffered them the most which is the ussr but stalin saw the slave mm. workers as collaborators so when they did their actually those that got home they were sort of uh, excommunicated for being enemy collaborators at that point the cold war was kicking in and so the collaboration you know russia and britain collaborating over these yep. persecutions never really happened yeah um but to talk about the resistance a little bit, I mean, yeah. there wasn't a single German killed on the islands in terms of uh, resistance. Not by resistance, no. No, no. no. It might be in other ways. But... Lots of suicide yes, strategies. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean... From German yeah. suicide, yeah. But, that, you know, that saved the lives of many islanders. Um, they were not, mm. The islanders weren't encouraged by the BBC or by British leaflets or anything to resist. In fact, the BBC ignored no. the islands the entire duration of the war. Didn't no, Not a single broadcast mentioned them. And all these, all the yeah. encouragement that was given to the French resistance or the Czechs or the Dan Dutch, you know, broadcasting all these languages, the BBC never mentioned the Channel Islands. Well, I suppose it, it was in the British interest as well for the islanders not to resist in a violent way because that then gives them another place to have to... Yeah, yes. Um, uh, what's the word? I don't okay. know. But, you know, it, it, if, if it's all ticking along nicely... That's what it was, yeah. It was, <laughs> just it was, let it carry on. It was ticking on. along nicely. And uh, there was no military threat to Britain from the islands. Yeah. So it became a large sort of administrative headache for the Germans to have all these soldiers on the on the islands. And after D-Day, mm. when they were talking about liberating the islands, Churchill's attitude was, well, we've got the largest and cheapest prisoner of war camp behind Allied lines here. It's tying up thousands and thousands of soldiers <laughs> and it's of no military danger to us. So why do we want to, why do yeah. we want to uh, throw loads of uh, soldiers to die on those beaches and just why don't we just carry on heading towards France, you know? Uh, and yeah. towards Paris, yeah. you know. The, the resistance, as it, as it, you know, was in tiny little acts of defiance, I think, really. Yeah. You know, the... When there were British servicemen who'd been shot down or washed up uh, from sunken boats, when their uh, burials happened, there was a massive attendance, uh, and uh, uh, which alarmed the Germans. Well, it, eventually they banned yeah. attendance. There was a one incident, I think, where 21 bodies were washed up and they were given a full honours by the Germans these British servicemen, but everyone in the island basically yeah, turned yeah, and up. Yeah, and... the Germans, I think. I mean, islanders were told to salute German officers when they were passing them. So, you know, some of the young lads started saluting everyone in uniform, started saluting the postman, the, uh, you know, the milkman. <laughs> and it's like, and, uh, so that, that way of sort of ironically uh, defying 
the orders. The, these are the things I really like, though. These sort of minor acts of yes. disobedience or of dissent that were it's such a British sort of, you know, right, OK, we're a bit stymied here, but fuck you, yeah, we're still going to make yeah, so our point. Yeah, there's a guy doing, um, uh, uh, paving the... Uh, uh, you know, doing the paving the street in the, in the square, and he did a little V for victory in the paving. It was sort of set in there. Yeah. They didn't notice it. They're walking over well, the, it. The, the V for victory thing is really interesting because yes. um, obviously it sort of swept through the resistance movements in France and you know swept yes. through Britain as the V for victory. In the Channel Islands, interestingly, they did their V slightly differently. Whereas we use our forefinger and yes. middle finger to do the V for victory, they use their thumb and forefinger okay. That's for some weird. reason. Maybe they only yeah. had four fingers. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they did. I'm. I'm not going to make that sort of judgment on the Channel Islanders, John. You can do that. Um, but they did paint it. Also, they also were painting it the, on, what, on, on walls and things, uh, which was. Um, well, they were doing all sorts of things. But what was really funny about it was the German. Had the Germans just sort of ignored yeah. it, it probably would have just died away. But it really yeah, pissed the Germans yeah. off um, that these V's were appearing in places. And, and, and for example, do you know like the. Um, the Morse code for V is dot, 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 dash. We did this in another podcast. Oh, did we yeah, talk about spy, it? So, spy, yeah, yeah, spy pigeons, yeah. yeah. So, oh, that's right. So yeah. they were knocking on doors in the dot, 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 dash right. um, as a little yeah. sort of fuck you to the Germans. Right. And also they would play Beethoven's Fifth because da, 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 it starts... Yeah. Um, so they would play that and the Germans hadn't really noticed right. that that was a... An act of defiance. Then, um, yeah, the, the Germans were getting really wound up. They started threatening punishments... Um, at one point, the bailiff on Guernsey had to release an announcement that said the letter V's appeared across the island and the persons who did it must come forward or be given up within 72 hours or there will be grave consequences. Yes. Obviously, nobody came forward. Nobody grasped anyone up. Um, and then a couple of days later, this was in 1941, a couple of days later, a reward of £25 was offered. Still nobody came forward. Um, what the what the people didn't know was that the reason the bailiff and the the Guernsey authorities were really pushing this was that the Germans had threatened to deport 25 leading islanders if they didn't find out who'd oh, put these bees everywhere and send them to a concentration camp. Yeah. They then, the Germans, decided that on the island that the way to counteract it was to pretend that to, to sort of reclaim the V That's for right. themselves. Yes, it's like victory. And they, yeah. they said, um, oh yeah, it stands for Victoria and it's something that Frederick the Great shouted at battle yes. and completely made up all yeah. this stuff about how the and then they started wearing lapel badges with, with a v. a v on yeah, yeah. to try and make it and what was really lovely is the way the islanders then counteracted that was to say because the that's not the word for victory in german right um but the word verloren in german begins with a v and that means loser <laughs> okay oh, so, so they were like well they were it means verloren right that's loser. Means loser okay yeah v on men would carry uh spent matches in their pockets oh, yeah. in case they saw a german car with a window wound down and if they did they would bend it into a v and drop it onto the seat oh okay the driver's seat so when the driver got in the car there'd be a v on the seat oh excellent they were, that's right they would put chalk on uh, german uh, motorbike saddles and on bicycle that's saddles right. so they had chalk v's on their bums on their uniforms oh my favorite one is uh, edmund blampied 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 i'm never yeah. sure how to pronounce local names uh, but he was an artist and he was um he had to design in Jersey, particularly, the Germans would st steal the coinage and send it back home as souvenirs. Right. So they he was design he had to design a load of new currency notes. Oh yeah. And on the sixpence note, he wrote the word six in such a way that the X could be folded into two Vs. Oh, excellent. 
on the note. He also had to design postage stamps on which he... Um, he it's put a, a, a subtle GR oh, okay. on there for Georgius Rex. Oh, I there's one where they had A A A A on the stamp or on the coin, and it was like a, appalling Adolf is an arsehole or something. It stood for some Latin. <laughs> it stood for some Latin insult, which uh, yeah. only he knew, I think. So these little acts of defiance kept, kept them going. Love these little acts of yeah, yeah. Like and that of, probably kept their spirits up, just knowing that absolutely because done that, because it? things were getting harder and harder as the war progressed, and as they got into mm-hmm. forty three. You know, the winter and 44, it was uh, like food was running out. Um, There were no food parcels coming from Britain. There was no sense that Britain was going to rescue them. People died of malnutrition and there was bitterness towards Britain. Uh, uh, It was a deliberate policy not to refer to the Channel Islands. Uh, I think the Britons were sort of embarrassed about it. didn't want to remind the British population. So uh, there was no reference in news broadcasts and no mention of the King's Christmas speech. But those that were still listening to uh, radios that still had them were frequently disappointed, even though they followed the war. Then you had some stuff about all their about radios. The, the underground news. Yeah. Well, this is, yeah. So so radios, for the first couple of years of occupation, um, the Germans really used wirelesses as a punishment. So, you know, if you did something wrong, you'd have your wireless confiscated. Yep. and wirelesses were forever being confiscated and then returned and then eventually were basically banned from 1942 but some people were were quite clever with uh, hiding their wirelesses you had um people would put them well one person put theirs in a removable floor of their dog kennel uh with a quite vicious bull terrier (laughs) in it um they'd keep them down wells the people that were charged the islanders that were charged with the job of going and rounding up all the wirelesses yep. would accidentally on purpose listen to them occasionally before they put them in storage and yeah. things like that and then you had something called the guernsey underground news network yes i read about this who they, they were amazing there were five people they they produced it was on newsletter didn't they 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 produced newsletters so what they would do they would listen to the radio broadcast yeah. on the bbc and then they would, on tomato packing paper, because Guernsey yeah, uh, grew tomatoes, yeah. they would type up the bulletin of the day. And then it would be discreted in secret locations, one of which was in the library that Ralph Duran, who okay. wrote the book I read, in a, in a sort of nominated book, oh. where people in the know could then go into the library and have a look Browse. at that book wow. and see what cool. the news bulletin of that day said. Um there was a lovely a thing that he said about these people that were doing this. So there was five men, essentially, but obviously to disseminate the news, there was quite a network of people yep. to get the news out. And uh, he said sometimes the news disseminated was a lot more positive than what was actually happening. And uh, he attributed this to to being because a man or woman who deliberately risks imprisonment in order to hear war news is of the stuff of which optimists are made. And optimists, when passing on news, have a tendency of which they are possibly unconscious to exaggerate good and minimise well, bad news. Yeah, well, that's interesting, isn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was yeah. really interesting. I mean, at the, the, um, the beginning, the, king, the British had dropped leaflets, hadn't they, after in, in yeah, September, they messages drop, from the king. Uh, yeah, and they used to drop copies of the Daily Mirror and the Daily Mail. Did they? Poor things. Um, yeah, so <laughs> take your pick. Uh, it was like it was like thank, the, thanks, the, guys. It was like the the tube when the metro has been left on every seat. It's like uh, uh, litter blowing <laughs> everywhere. Didn't they have the kids all chasing around trying to pick up the leaflets and the Germans trying to pick up the leaflets before the British kids did? Looked like a game of I've, I've can't find the bit of paper I wrote it, but said yeah, it looked like a. Game of Chase or something. Or Tom Tom Tiddler's Ground or something. Tom right? Tiddler's Ground, yeah. that's right. Yes. Sorry, yes. Um, so Frank Faller was one of the main guys of this Guernsey Underground News Network. Um, and he was also the editor of the Star newspaper. So what he used to do um, was strategically place the stories that the Germans had given him in the same place in the newspaper. Ah, oh, that's good. 
So the islanders got to know that that's, if a story was in that place, then it was that's, uh, Nazi propaganda. Slot. Yeah. Uh, but in 1994, the Underground News Network was betrayed by an Irish collaborator. And those five men were sent uh, to imprisonment in Germany. Uh, one of them died there. Oh, two of them died there. Wow. Um, and three came back. Wow. Um, and that's who this book I read was, de- it was de- dedicated to those wow, three. That's amazing. Term. I mean, the, the risk that these people were taking. And again, it's, it, mm. it shines a light so, on. That's where I mean to... Yeah, it shines a light on what we would have all done. You know, would we have uh, mm. just tried to keep our heads down or would we have risked dying just to get out a newsletter about this occupation? Mm. Um, and also to say, so to say there was no resistance does feel a bit, yeah. you know, there was no armed resistance. There was no, but there, there were these acts of defiance yes, that were and, really dangerous. And there were people who were hiding escaped slaves and also... Uh, a couple of Jewish people, I think, were hidden on the island. So mm-hmm. there was resistance. But as things were getting hard on the island, at least uh, D-Day happened. And they saw D-Day yes. happening and they thought, well, our deliverance is going to come soon. Because mm. uh, look where they're invading, right next door to where we are. They've taken uh-huh. the Cherbourg Peninsula. And look, they must come for us <laughs> soon. Oh, they're going in the opposite direction. Uh-huh. And they just, they, you know, as I said before, there was a military decision taken not to try and um, relieve the... Uh, occupation of the islands uh, i think mount batten drew up a plan but every plan they drew 1943. up 1943 every plan they drew up just looked like it involved the deaths of thousands and they thought well mm. you know we could use those men uh ridding mainland europe from the nazis so they kept pushing on and on and on and things got harder and harder because before the german food supplies came from uh, the Cherbourg peninsula but yeah. then there was no f- there's no food coming from the from the German sources and no food coming from the British uh, sources. So the, the winter mm. of 1944 was terrible for the islanders and they were starving. Yeah. Uh, and there were no Red Cross parcels or anything. You know. In August of 1944, the German Foreign Ministry made an offer to Britain uh, via the Swiss Red Cross to see the release and evacuation of all the Channel Island civilians except the men of military age. So they knew there was a food crisis yes. for everybody on the island. Uh, and the British apparently considered the offer. And then a memo from Churchill said, let them starve. They can rot at their leisure. And it says it's not clear whether Ch- Churchill meant the Germans or the civilians. No, well, the thing is, Churchill's attitude to the Islanders seems to be quite unsympathetic. And maybe yeah. he'd, uh, he'd imagine that they would themselves die on the beaches when the, um, when the Nazis had landed. And I think he had an attitude of disappointment in the islanders they've uh, taken all their arms away I know, what are they supposed I know, to do i know and um they just didn't wasn't the wherewithal um but uh he wouldn't allow red cross parcels in for quite mm. a while thinking that that food would just be taken by the germans and uh and distributed to german forces in europe so they really suffered and like your librarian you know author mm. uh many many there were deaths finally uh it's may 1945 the yes. allies uh, reach berlin uh, Hitler is dead. Germany surrenders. V Day. V Day. But still, on Jersey and Guernsey, the Nazis are in control. Incredibly, yeah. uh, even though the whole of Europe was liberated, the Channel Islands. I forgot still... about them. Oh yeah. Oh god. I'm <laughs> so article. sorry. Oh, I'm There's so something em... I haven't done. Oh, what so is it? <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. We we did mean to get you last year, but it just slipped my mind. So. Yeah, but uh, and so it was just like the day after VE Day, uh, the Germans mm, had to surrender. Ninth. A boat full of British soldiers turned up on the beach and the Germans knew the game was up. There's no point mm. in sort of fighting a war uh, over these islands. Suddenly all the Union Jacks appeared, huge cheering and celebrating in the ports of uh, St. Peterport and uh, St. Helia. Do you know what the boats were called? Gone. That went, I love this. First boat arrived at St. Peterport in Guernsey. The second um, arrived 
at St. Helier in Jersey, and the first one was HMS Bulldog, and the second was HMS Beagle. Ah, oh, so obviously the British love their dogs. British love their dogs. And when HMS Bulldog arrives at Guernsey, the German forces surrendered unconditionally on board that vessel. On Jersey, two naval officers um, were met by the harbour master who took them to the office where they ho- hoisted the Union flag. And do you know what their names were? No, go on. Uh, one was Submarine Lieutenant R. Milne. Fine. The other okay. was Surgeon Lieutenant, the Lieutenant, sorry, I'm British, Ronald MacDonald. Ronald oh, yes. McDonald. Jersey so was starving. liberated by Ronald McDonald. Well, when you've been that hungry for that long, uh, you suddenly go, this bloke in the clown costume is coming up, <laughs> offering all these hamburgers. It must have been a doubly great day to have the, the clown from the McDonald's ad suddenly <laughs> on the beach. Um, sorry, so, Ronald McDonald, if you're, yeah, I mean, sorry. you're probably not alive. His family if your family are listening, offense. I do apologise. Yeah. But come um, on. So suddenly there were reprisals. I mean, the British had been warned because they'd seen what happened in Paris and things. Mm. There was a fear that a lot of collaborators would be set upon. And there were some what they called jerry bags were tarred mm. and feathered. Yeah. Um, they were the women who, collab- who collaborated, women who, inverted commas. Yeah, women who'd had... Uh, <laughs> intense um, collaborations with German officers. Intense collaborations, yeah. <laughs> so 30,000 soldiers were taken to England and uh, where they stayed for a few years, where they mm-hmm. made to work on farms as prisoners of war, etc., 3,000 were kept back to clear, help clear mines on the beaches, which I think is a euphemism for, oi, Krauts, go and play football over there. <laughs> yeah. Help to um, clear mines. Would you like, would you mind helping to clear these mines? Yes, yes. Just, sure. Just play, right, one, two, three, jump. One, two, three, jump. 800 babies on Jersey mm-hmm. uh, by German soldiers. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed babies. <laughs> yes. And now, but they're, they're under Jersey law, their husbands returning from the British Army were legally responsible for those babies. And a lot of marriages mm. where... Uh, husbands and wife would just, you know, not refer to what had happened during those dark days, and they just got on with life. Do after you the wonder war. What, how those poor children may have been treated? You know, if you're yes. bringing up a Nazi baby. Yeah, that must have been pretty. Yes, I, I mean, bet there, must there was some, some of that. Uh, yeah, harsh treatment went on there. Yes, yes. So there was no German ever tried for what happened on Orkney or on the islands. Mm. No collaborators ever convicted. No war crimes ever prosecuted. Not even for what happened on the Orkney. They did investigate, didn't they? Allegations of collaboration. Yeah. Um, but in November 1946, the Home Secretary um, said that most of the allegations lacked substance and then only 12 yeah. cases were considered, but the Director of Public Prosecutions ruled it out on insufficient grounds. So no I think everyone just wanted to, to brush it under the carpet. I yeah. think everyone wanted to forget about it. It didn't fit with the British narrative of a heroic defiance of the moral purity of Britain from uh, fighting the Nazis from beginning to end. And we're still under uh, that delusion that that's well, what we are now, yeah, aren't we? <laughs> exactly. The, the idea of British exceptionalism did, was not uh, helped by this story. So to have mm. weeks and weeks of trials and uh, uh, publicity given to collaborators was not a, a, a desirable notion mm. for uh, the British authorities. And so, you know, it was all just forgotten about. I think there was punishment by social ostracism on the islands yeah. themselves. And quite a few people emigrated to New Zealand or South Africa or whatever to start new lives away from the islands. Mm-hmm. And they think there was a, 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 a conspiracy theory that lots of the collaborators were smuggled off the islands to, pre- to prevent further unrest. Uh, yeah. And they all whisked away in one boat or other. No one ever could prove that. But uh, some papers came out in 1992 sort of suggesting this might have been true. And also there were laws passed, weren't there, in Jersey and Guernsey, uh, retrospectively, that confiscated the financial gains made by war profiteers. That's right. And yes, black yes. marketeers. Some, and, yeah, some yeah. people have made a fortune. Yeah. I think the, 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 the overall lesson is that it's pretty clear that if 
the United Kingdom, you know, mainland had been overrun by the mm. Nazis, there would have been those who would have collaborated and there would have been those who had, you know, been defiant. Yep. And there would have been those people who would have been prepared to hand Jewish people over to the authorities, just yeah. as they had in every other part of Europe. I think it sort of disproves the rather, you know... Uh, this idea we have of ourselves as being yeah, somehow, somehow pure special. and special yeah. and uh, yeah. completely patriotic. Yes. Uh, we were, Most of Britain was spared those difficult choices uh, yeah. because of the English Channel, not because of we're special. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're not any more heroic, brave or uh, better than the French, Dutch or Poles, really. We're just... We're just people and there's... It's almost, there's, uh, John, like human beings are going to be human beings. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Regardless of where they fell out of their mothers. So I think the islanders have, uh, you know, they suffered under the war for a sort of sense of uh, disappointment in them. They weren't these great narratives mm. of, um, uh, you know, the great escape. They, they were probably expected to tunnel out of Jersey and pop up somewhere in Cornwall. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> people with gliders out of toilet just rolls or something. Just Come on. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, Cover uh, yourself in the, goose fat and off you go. They were they were sort of abandoned by the British. They were ignored by the British, and then they were sort of slightly punished by the British for mm. not having used uh, pea shooters to defeat the Wehrmacht. <laughs> um, but um, it's a very interesting period of history. Mm. Uh, and I, I, lots of books about it, and lots to see if you go. Like I've only been to Guernsey, and I went so briefly for I was doing a show there with Mark Steele earlier this year. Yeah. In fact, just before the lockdown. And uh, but I thought we just did, I really wanted to go and see all the um, well you know I love a bunker yeah you um, do love a bunker but we just didn't have time unfortunately when we were there so I definitely want to go back and and sort yeah. of yeah yeah have and a go look back at... and think about think about the people in your life you know and think collaborator mm. or resistance so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's plenty of uh, books to read about it I recommend the uh, the Madeleine Bunting one but there's there's plenty of other books yeah uh, you know, quite a sort of um, linked history for the first few history books written after the war, there was one official history, which is sort of like very, very little about what happened on Alderney and very little about the slave camps. And that's something that's only come to light more since papers were released in the 90s, actually. Yeah. Um, that was They wanted to keep it secret for 100 years, some of the papers. And I suppose but... a, a lot isn't said while those people are still alive. Yes, quite. So um... Channel Islands, we don't judge you. No. Uh, um, we'd like to come... Uh, visit you sometime. And, yeah, let's, uh, let's have a little holiday when when we're allowed to do that again. <laughs> yeah, when we're allowed to go holidays. To the, you remember them? To the beach. Oh. oh god, fantastic! <laughs> I think we've covered the uh, German occupation of the uh, Channel Islands. Yes, um, I think so. Please do go to our iTunes thing and give us a little review, and please give us five stars and that because it all helps push us up um, and, right. and gets us in front of more people. Tweet about us, tell people about us. We're at We Are History Pod. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, tell other people you're enjoying it because we'd That's like great. to get more people listen. Yeah, we've got a pretty healthy listenership, but we could always use more. Oh, yeah. Um, um, so thank you for listening, everyone. Thank, thank you, Angela. You. Thank you, John. And, uh, thank you, Spike, our engineer, for making this work during lockdown. Yes, thank and you, we'll Spike. We'll catch you next time. Your patience as well, Spike, because you're dealing with yes. two old people trying to deal with technology. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you next time on We Are History. Bye.